Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. This is our weekly exploration of the Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is Vayikra, and we have a lot to speak about. It's the opening of the book of Leviticus. But before we get started, before we get started, I want to um, extend a special prayer and a special wish of good health and healing to Dr. Maxi's mom. Um, Anne, may she be blessed with good health and a good recovery and only good news health-wise. And please, God, everything should be uh, the way it needs to be in a, in, a, in a positive and good fashion. Thank you. But of course, of course. so thinking about you and, and praying for you and your mom and, and, and everything that uh, only good health. Um, and in the merit of Torah study, please, God, she should be, be strong and well and, and recover in a smooth fashion. So this week, as I mentioned a moment ago, we are beginning a brand new book, the third book of Torah. And I need to mention, because I think it's important. Look at your chair. One second. I think it's important to mention um, that. Oh, hey, Zaidi. Hey, mom. Good to see you guys. All right. We got we got the mishpacha from the Berg. All right. So I think it's important to mention that the third book of Torah is. Okay. I don't know how to say this other than saying it's the most difficult to learn. That's it. It's the most difficult book of the Torah to learn, at least for me. Why? Because it talks about the sacrifices. It talks about a lot of ritual law, um, temple law, things that were not things that have not been a part of the Jewish fabric of day-to-day living for almost 2,000 years since the second temple was destroyed. I mean, think about it. Think about it. We have not had a temple with an altar with a sacrificial service since the year 69 of the Common Era. So we're, I mean, it's like uh, 1,950 years or so that we haven't had the temple. So discussion about the, the, the carbonate, the sacrifice, the offerings, you know, what offering, what type of animal, how old the animal, how it should be brought. These are things that aren't immediate in our, in our frame of reference. Talk about tzedakah, done, we got it. Shabbos, kosher, Pesach, holiday, Sukkot, Levinesrug, Matzah, I get it. Mezuzah, tzitzis, tefillin, all of these things make sense and they're part of our experience. But you get into the third book of Torah and it suddenly turns to the temple experience and it feels, at least again, just being from personal experience, it feels a little bit different. And yet... And yet, and I think it's really important to mention this, that there is a tradition. I know for sure it's a Chabad tradition. It may be an other, uh, other traditions as well. I, I know I'm, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little more familiar with Chabad tradition specifically, but there's a tradition that when a child first starts studying Torah, where do they begin? From Vayikra. I remember, I, this is one of my earliest memories. I remember my Chumash party, it was when we first studied the first little bit of, 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 of Torah of Chumash. And I remember, I, I literally remember this experience. And it was, I remember kind of the setting, the room that, w- that it was in. We had a party, we had learned. There was like this, I remember we sang it. And I, I also remember that there was homemade cupcakes or cookies or cake or something like that. And I remember I wasn't a fan of them. I literally remember this story and this um, this trauma of baked goods. I'm kidding. No, it was fine. I just didn't eat it. But 
I, I remember the story, but the point is not about the story as much as it is about the fact that children start learning Torah in some traditions, some circles from the book of Leviticus, Vayikra, even though it talks about sacrifices and all, it's something that's not immediate in the child's frame of reference. You would think you want to start somewhere, maybe start with creation, the beginning, or start with Noah's Ark, the animals eh, familiar, or start with um, Abraham or Exodus. No, that's a little too scary, Exodus. Whatever, you would think start somewhere else, something familiar, and yet Vayikra. But here's the reason why. Because children are pure. And we children who are pure begin studying the Torah, which is pure, from the section that is all about holiness and purity and sacrifice and temple and God. So it's not about the messiness of creation, the messiness of a flood or Abraham's trials and travails or the, or the Egyptian slavery and Exodus. None of the human drama. It's specifically and exclusively focused on God and sacrifice and connection. It's a pure learning experience. And so as we enter the third book of Torah, which we are this week, as we hopefully study it throughout the week and on Shabbat, in other words, outside of our Wednesday night classes, um, we study the Torah portion, and it deals with perhaps in this book things that are a little bit outside of our typical Jewish frame of reference. Let's remember that it's pure and it's holy. And as Donna points out, yes, this was how we started DPP. This is how we started that last year, Daily Power, Daily Power Parsha, started with Vayikra. So you see that it all comes full circle. As a kid, we started with Vayikra. DPP started with Vayikra. The pandemic started with Vayikra, et cetera. So that's, uh, that's how we roll. Now, let's get back to, hold on one second. Let me just check the chat. Ah, Adina Malka writes, the Samaritans still keep this sacrifice, this, these sacrifices. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. But again, it's not part of the normative Jewish practice, but it is interesting to see that there are some groups perhaps that are still doing some ritual stuff. Now, today's focus is going to be on letters. This class is informally titled, um, you know, the Torah studies folks give it their own titles. I'd like to give it my own. I ca I'm calling this class a tale of two letters. Charles Dickens, was that his name, who wrote A Tale of Two Cities? He had nothing on my title. He got it from me. This is totally an original title, A Tale of Two Letters. No, I'm not talking about two emails or letters that would otherwise be written. I'm talking about characters. No, not those characters, the letter characters that are in Torah. So the first thing we need to know, and this is something that we've talked about before in other classes, but something that I want to just as a reminder the Torah scroll is typically written in the same size font. Oh, by the way, so my grandfather is joining us, my Zaidi, and my grandfather is a scribe and has written ritual scrolls, checked countless number of scrolls for kosher accuracy and fixed them. And so he can certainly tell you that, uh, that a Torah scroll is written with a similar sized letter no a similar letter size okay today we would call it a font size you know font i don't know what font means but 
whatever. It's a, it's, it's the, the, the size is whatever it is based on the size of the actual scroll, which could vary by the way. Um, based on that size, you would write with a median, like a middle, like a, an average, not too big, not too small, just right in the middle. But you wouldn't change size in writing. Like part of being a scribe, being a sofer, is you got to keep your letters straight. No writing up and down. When I write a letter, I mean, it's been a little while, but you know, like it can go up a little bit. It can go down a little bit. You know, you hold the paper at an angle or something. I don't know. All bets are off. Line paper makes it easier. But, you know, we're not perfectly precise. But if you, if you are writing a Torah scroll, oh, you got you to gotta be really precise. It's got to look like this was knocked out on a word process. It can't be knocked out on a word process, but it's got to look like, it's got to look really clean, really, really perfect. But there are some letters, as you know, there are some letters. The word, Ari, the yes. word you're looking for is uniform size. Uniform, yes, thank you. And that's... Um, Sintas, the uniform people, joking, right? A uniform, can't resist uniform uh, jokes. So a uniform size, exactly. But scatter throughout scripture, <laughs> impossible, can't take me anyway. Scatter throughout scripture. There are letters that are larger and letters that are smaller. Today, we speak about two letters, one that is large and one that is small, and the lessons that we can learn from these not-so-average letters. So we begin with the opening word of this book, Vayikra. In English, it's called Leviticus, from the word Levi, Levite, Leviticus, the book of the Levite. Um, Leviticus, in Hebrew, it's not Leviticus, it's called Vayikra. Vayikra, as in the first word of the book, Vayikra, which means, and he called. He referring to God, right? And he called by Yikra Hashem El Moshe, and God, he called to Moses. So by Yikra is he called. You put the verb before the noun, before the subject in Hebrew grammar. So by Yikra Hashem, God called. We would put the noun before the verb. God called in Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew at least, it's by Yikra Hashem. And he called, who's the he? God, to Moses. All right. So it's called Vayikra. The, the Vayikra is spelled Vav, Yur, Kuf, Resh, Aleph. The last letter is the Aleph, the first character in the Aleph bet. That last letter, Aleph, is small. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull up my Torah studies book. Let's share it. Let's explore it together. And let's come up with some insights into this. I'm sharing my screen. And please give me a thumbs up if you can see it. Yes, can you see this? Yes, all right, great. Dr. Maxi, if you don't mind, please read text number one, the opening verse of the book. And he called to Moses and God spoke to him from the tent of meeting saying. Good and classic cliffhanger. Classic cliffhanger. We don't know what he said, but he was saying something. God calls to Moses. This first word, I can't highlight the Hebrew text or the English text for that matter, but where my little arrow is pointing, I think you can see that. I'm pointing right below the letter Aleph of Ayikra. Here, typed out um, in, the, in this, whatever, in this book, in this, in this uh, PDF, 
it's written with a normal size aleph. In other words, the aleph is no larger than, sorry, is no smaller than the other. Ooh, now it's getting really big. It's no smaller than the other letters, right? Vav, Yod, Kuf, Resh, Aleph. That last Aleph right there. Okay, however, in the Torah scroll, if you were writing a Torah, this Aleph is like a third of the size. It's written really tiny. It's written really tiny. And how do we know this? Where does that come from? This is what we call Halacha Lemosha Misinai. This is a law that was given to Moses at Sinai along with what to write. In other words, when God spoke to Moses on the mountain and gave him all the laws, God told him what to write down. And he told him when it came to certain letters in certain words, these letters make smaller, these letters make larger. This is a tradition. We have it all the way back to Moses, to Mosaic times, that these letters, certain letters are written smaller. This is one of those letters. But of course, it's not random. It's not happenstance. It's not like God said, you know what? This one will make smaller. There's a, there's a reason and there's a significance. There is insight in every letter of Torah, how much more so when that letter is smaller, that's like a huge flag saying, hello, look here. There's meaning. There's a special meaning here. So what is the meaning of the small Aleph? I will tell you that any biblical commentary, any Torah commentary worth their title, biblical commentary, will give an explanation on this on the small letter. You cannot encounter a small letter, the opening letter of a book, and not have, and not opine, not have a take on it. Everyone's got a take. Everyone's got it. I'll give you some. You want, you want a collection of takes? I'll give you one such take, not the one that we're going to focus on. So there's a commentary that says that Vayikra with a small olive, if you if imagine the olive wasn't there, right? Because it's small. So it's almost like, you, you almost miss it. Imagine if it wasn't there. The word would be vayikar. Not vayikra, vayikar. What does vayikar mean? And it happened upon him. Vayikar. Or and he happened upon him. Not he called, but he happened upon. That is a word that is found in reference to Balaam's prophecy. It's a similar word that's found by his prophecy that God happened upon him. So the difference is between an evil prophet and a holy prophet, between Balaam and Moses, is accident versus purpose, intention, right? With Balaam, or Balaam, sorry, with Balaam, the English version of his name, so everything is by happenstance, it's by accident. Moses, Vayikra, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a call to action, it's intentional. Why the small aleph then? To show you how subtle a difference between viewing life as an accident versus viewing life as by divine providence. Is everything in life happening by design, by divine design? Not DPP, daily power, PowerShell, but DP, divine providence, or that's a good, it's a little good acronym that we, uh, that we, that we need. In my house, the kids like watching these videos from this group called Dude Perfect. Don't ask. They do trick shots. If you know, no, no nods here. All right, moving on. Fine. Um, don't Google them. There's no point. It's a you know, rabbit hole. Anyway, back to our story. So DP, divine providence, is life guided by God or Vayikra or Vayikar? It just so happened. Is life an accident, a series of circumstances, or is it orchestrated from on high? That makes all the difference in the world. But you know what? It's one decision. A small decision. How do I look at this thing right in front of me? 
the small Aleph, one little letter makes all the difference. And it's makes a difference for us. Like Joseph. Got to go back to the Joseph story. He could have looked at himself as a victim of, of, of circumstance or divine providence. God is calling me into service, sending me into Egypt as a messenger. And that makes all the difference in the world. If he's, if he's, on, the, if he's on the receiving end of some sort of bad karma, well, then life stinks. And that's it. Fold, fold the cards in and, and we're done. That's it. We're finished. But he doesn't look at it like that. Vayikra, almost, right? I mean, I'm just borrowing words and pasting it on Joseph. But Joseph looks at it as God is calling me for a certain purpose. So that's one commentary. That's not what we're going to do tonight. Tonight, we're going to go with a classic understanding of Vayikra, the small aleph. The small aleph, according to the cla a classic way of understanding it, connotes or denotes humility, being humble. One thing we know about Moses is unmute, unmute yourself if you can tell me about Moses in this context. Who was Moses? He was humble. He was humble. In fact, in fact, he's the most humble person. The Torah says he was the most humble person on the face of the earth. And he himself wrote that. I'm kidding, right? That's what the Torah says about him. The Torah says about him that there was never anyone like Moses, etc., but the most humble person on the face of the earth. Um, <laughs> I got to tell the joke. I got to tell the joke. Um, the rabbi and the cantor and the congregant, you know this one? Yeah, we've all heard it a million times, but you got to tell it in this context. So it's the high holiday. It's, it's Yom Kippur. And in the middle of the prayers at a very um, serious part of the prayer, very deep, uh, um, um, uh, inspiring, inspirational part of the service, the rabbi falls down to the ground and he's rolling around saying, I've been garnished, I've been garnished, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. And the cantor, not to be outdone by the rabbi, the cantor also falls down to the ground. I've been garnished, I've been garnished, I'm nothing. Upon hearing that and the commotion, one of the congregants falls down and rolls around on the ground on the floor saying, I've been garnished, I've been garnished, I'm nothing. Upon which the rabbi turns to the cantor and says, look who thinks he's nothing. Anyway, yeah, you with me on that? Fine. Good, it got lost in translation. But here's you the point. You had to be there. You had to be on the floor <laughs> to, to really get it. All right. I heard it, I heard it was the Shabbos. The Shabbos. I always heard the Chazan. Yeah. Whatever. Chazan Ben. <laughs> Chazan Ben. Yeah. As a rabbi and a Chazan combo. <laughs> I, think think can, Shabbos. I, I think we can pull this one <laughs> Who's off. Who's left to think on but the Shabbos? We, we, can, uh, we, can, we can pull this off. All right. So here's the point. The point is that Moshe, Moses, was humble. And so there are people, there are commentators, many commentators who take this, a similar approach and say the Aleph, Ze'era, the small Aleph, Ze'era in, in Aramaic means small, the small Aleph is signifying the humility, the humble nature of Moshe, of Moses. Take a look at the text. I'm going to share my screen once again. Let's go through this inside. All right. Let me make this larger. Oops. I'm now skipping multiple pages here, but I'm back just in time. All right, let us ask David. David, if you will, please unmute and read text number two from the Tzurar Hamar. Perhaps the reason, the reason for the small Aleph is in line with what I wrote previously, namely, that out of 
his great humility, Moses distanced himself from any sort of prestige. He fled from the stage so much that God had to call out to him. Says the Aleph of the word Vayikra, and he called, and he called is, uh, and he called is small. Says the Aleph is small. Right, the Aleph, right. The Aleph of Ikra, and they call it small. So by the way, that he should be a capital letter H, right? This he is God calling. So we usually do a capital letter. So it's not, Mo, it's not Moshe calling, it's God calling. But that's what he says. Because of his great humility, so Vayikra, he wasn't looking for honor. He wasn't looking to be called. Let, let me explain what he's saying. Essentially, he's saying is that Moshe, Moses, was not looking for the limelight. He wasn't looking for the mic. He wasn't looking to be called upon. It's he, In fact, he went the other way. He was always running away from covet. He was running away from honor. He was the guy who, when, remember the story by the burning bush? When God says to Moses, hey, I want you to be the, uh, I want you to be the rep, the representative. I want you to be the leader. And Moses is like, you got the wrong guy. He was running away. So God had to always, Moses, Moshe, come, come, come. We got we to gotta get you involved here. That's what, what's going on. So according to Surah Amar, basically the small Aleph of Vayikra is reminding us. It's, it's, it bespeaks the humility of Moshe that God had to keep on calling him because he didn't offer himself up for greatness. It was rather a request from God. Beautiful, beautiful explanation. And in line, I must say, this is just one of many commentaries, dozens of which say essentially the same thing. Oh, with this a, a nuance here, nuance there. But the typical understanding of the small aleph, humility. Moshe was humble. So it's a, it's a humble aleph. Why this word? Because God's calling him. So either God had to call him because Mo Moses didn't step up to the front of the line. Or even when God called him, it didn't get to his head. Whatever, whatever angle we take, small aleph, humility. But I told you tonight, it's a tale of two letters, right? I told you that we're going to discuss two letters. So tonight we're going to talk about the small aleph, but also a second letter. And the second letter is a large letter. And wouldn't you know it, it's a large aleph. Same letter, but a large aleph in a different verse. And this verse you're not going to find in the five books of Moses. You're not going to find this large aleph in the five books of Moses. By the way, let me just parenthetically interject this point. When you look throughout scripture, 24 Jewish books of scripture, including the five books of Moses, the books of the prophets, like um, Joshua, Samuel, Kings, right? And the books of the writings, including Psalms and, and, and Ruth and Esther. When you look throughout scripture, you have large letters and small letters. Famously, there are some of those in the Megillah, the, the book of Esther, which has some incredible explanations, which some of you may know. Yes, related to post-World War II trials, Nuremberg trials, etc. Um, just incredible stuff that would, that would blow your mind. Nonetheless, nonetheless, um, when you look throughout scripture and you see large letters and small letters, the commentators have pointed out that every letter is represented, big and small, which means that every letter gets a chance not only to have its normative size, 
but also a small version, a large version, throughout all the different larger and smaller letters, all the letters are represented. So Aleph has a small version. Well, we're talking about it now, but it also has a large version. Where is that large version? I can't believe that you asked. I'm so ready for that question. So thank you for asking. Um, and this is 3935. Okay, I'm going to look at that in a second. Take a look at the large Aleph once again. You won't see it large, but you'll have to take my word for it. So take a look at text number four. This is a real uh, short text. So let's ask. I mean, I feel bad even asking somebody. I'm just going to read this myself because it's, it's like just three words. All right. It's probably the shortest text we've ever done. I doubt there's ever been a, a reading that's been less than three words. I can't imagine what would a two word reading look like. Okay. So here we go. This is the opening of, of Divrei Hayamim Chronicles, one of the 24 holy Jewish books of scripture. And in Chronicles, by the way, it's called Chronicles because it goes through the Chronicles, the, the story of history and Jewish history. So it starts off with the first people, Adam, Shays, Enosh. Boom. There you go. Three generations. Adam, Adam. Oh, I should read the translation. Adam, Seth, and Enosh. Enosh. I feel like Enosh is an online snack company, right? If you're hungry and you want kosher chips, go to enosh.com. When you're ready to nosh. All right. I'm done. Back to Adam. So this first letter, this Aleph right here of Adam. Yeah. That first letter of the book of Chronicles is a large Aleph. It's a large Aleph. So now we have a tale of two letters. We have a small Aleph of Ayikra and a large Aleph for Adam, for Adam. And the question is, why the large Aleph? And you might say, oh, the large Aleph indicates that as opposed to Moses, who was humble, Adam was, he was an alpha male, right? He was like, sorry, he was an Aleph male. He was like a large Aleph male, Adam, Adam, first human being, right? That, that, might, be, that might be the approach we could take, which would seem to indicate that it's, a, that it's a positive. And yet, and yet, and yet, we're going to see soon a story that changes everything. So let me tell you a little bit of background of the story that I'm, that I'm about to share with you. The founder of Chabad, the founder of the Chabad movement, his name was Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, also known as the Alter Rebbe. Alter Rebbe literally means the old rabbi, but it means it's a bit of a night. It, in Yiddish, it's nicer than that. It's not like old rabbi, but it's like the elder, the elder rabbi, the alter rabbi. He had a grandson. His grandson's name was Menachem Mendel, known as Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch. He was the third rabbi, the third rabbi. Our rabbi, the seventh, his name was also Menachem Mendel. But he was the seventh. So we're talking about no, the third generation of, of Chabad. He was the grandson of the founder of the Alter Rebbe, Shneir Zaman of Liadi. His mother, the grandson's mother, was the Alter Rebbe's daughter. So I feel like I'm saying this too complicated. The Alter Rebbe had a daughter whose name was Devorah Leah. 
She had a son whose name was Menachem Mendel. Are you with me on this? Fairly simple, right? Zayde, daughter, grandson, right? Grand, like, Alter Rebbe, daughter, son, grandson. All right. Devorah Leah, rabbits in Devorah Leah, passed away at a pretty young age. Before she passed away, she asked her father to, to take special care of her son. She knew she was about to pass away, so she said to her father, the Alter Rebbe, please take care of my son, your grandson. Of course he was going to. And the child had his own father, right? To, that would help take care of him. But she wanted her father, the Alter Rebbe, to take special, pay special attention to him. And, and thus they had a very, and, and so it was, she passed away, the Alter Rebbe took very special care of the Tzema Tzedek. Oh, he became known as the Tzema Tzedek, the third Rebbe, and, um, and, and they had a very, very special bond. In fact, for those of you that come early Shabbos morning to Shul, to study Torah, R and Lakute Torah with Rabbi Shusterman. Um, so you should know that what you study Shabbos morning are the discourses of the Alter Rebbe, transcribed, edited, published by his grandson, the Tzema Tzedek. So there was a very special bond, and Tzema Tzedek helped publish a lot of his grandfather's teachings. Getting back to the story. Um, you know what? Let's read it inside. I'm going to share my screen because I think that's enough background information that we need for this story. Okay, here we go. Adina Malka, will you please read this really beautiful story? I'm going to make it a little bit larger so that it's easier to read. Hold on. All right. Please take it away. <clears throat> the previous rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Schneerson, once described at a Pesach Fabringen how the altar rabbi brought his grandson, Semek to school when the latter was a small boy. The altar rabbi instructed the teacher to begin studying the book of Vayikra. After his first lesson with his teacher, the young boy asked his grandfather, why is the aleph of the word Vayikra small? The altar rabbi entered into a spiritual trance for a short while and said, Adam was God's literal handiwork about whom God testified that he was wiser than the angels. Adam was aware of his own worth and that eventually got to him, ultimately leading to his downfall with the sin of the tree of knowledge. Moses, our teacher, he too was aware of his own worth, but not only did it not go to his Ted, the very up go to his head, the very opposite happened. It caused him to be extremely broken and humbled as he thought that if another Jew, not Amram's son and the seventh scion from Abraham would have possessed a soul as lofty as his and a pedigree like his, that person would have certainly outdone him. When God gave the letters at Mount Sinai, they came in three sizes small, medium, and large. The Torah is written with medium-sized letters, conveying the message that a person ought to be a ben, beno, benoni, which he or she can achieve by studying Torah. Whereas Adam stumbled into sin by dint of his excessive sense of worth, 
the olive of his name appears in large type set, whereas by contrast, Moses achieved the greatest levels of humility by focusing on his unworthiness. So the olive associated with him is small. Thank you. So that's the story. So just to recap the story, thank you, the Anmaka, for reading that. So the story goes that the grandson, the Alter Rebbe was taking care of his grandson. So he told the teacher to start with Vayikra. Like I mentioned before, that's been that's a, certainly a Chabad tradition. Maybe other, others have this tradition as well. So he started learning with the Torah from the book of Vayikra. He asked his grandfather, why is the Alf small? And so he talks about Adam had a large, Adam had a, an idea of his self-worth. It got to his head. Downfall. Moses was humble. So letters come in three sizes, large, medium, and small. Medium is where we're meant to be. But if it's too big, it could lead to a downfall, ego, downfall, mistakes, you know, being too sure of ourselves. Whereas Moses was humble and therefore the Aleph is small. So this is, this is the story that is shared. It's a classic story within the Chabad tradition. It's a story that's been told many times, again, within Chabad circles and you know, kids know it and adults know it. And it's a, it's a, it's a fairly well-known popular story. And it speaks about the message of the larger and smaller letters. But I have a few questions. These aren't my questions, although they're also my questions, but these are questions that the Rebbe asked, our Rebbe asked on it when he was one time retelling the story. And he said the following. He said, what type of answer is the Alta Rebbe giving his grandson? His grandson is asking about the small letter of Vayikra. Why is the grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, why is he bringing in the large letter of Adam in Divrayam Chronicles, right? What's, who is, who's talking about the book of Chronicles? This child has just started learning the five books of Moses, well, from book number three, but he's just starting to learn Torah. He hasn't yet gone to the book of Chronicles. He hasn't yet been, studying about Adam and large light, all, all he knows is what's in front of him. So why are you introducing a completely different story? Who is talking about Adam and large letters? We're literally talking about small letters. So that's question number one. In other words, on a basic level, yeah, the story makes sense. They're medium-sized letters. That's normal. Large letters, be careful. Small letters, nice and humble. Beautiful. It's beautiful. But again, the Rebbe asked a few questions. Number one, why does grandfather, Alter Rebbe, speak to grandson, Samatzedek, about Adam and large letters? When the question was not at all about that. That's question number one. Question number two is, why disparage Adam? Again, he's not involved. He's not even in this fight. It's not even a fight. It, it's like out of nowhere, not only is Adam brought in, but he's pummeled. Right, the Al-Dreb is like smacking him around a little bit, saying, Adam, by the way, you're asking about the small letter. Before we talk about that, let me tell you about Adam and his ego and his downfall and his large olive. Mm. Number one, why mention it? That was the first question. Number two, why disparage Adam out of nowhere? Especially considering that not everyone interprets the large letter Aleph by Adam as being a bad thing. In fact, there are legitimate commentaries that explain the large, the large Aleph in Chronicles as being a good thing. And if you're wondering who says that, I'll show it to you. 
Let me jump into my screen. Sh oh, hold on. Oh, yeah, I got it. Okay. Let me share my screen with you. And let's uh, let's take a let's take a look. See. Um, all right. Give me a second to get the page correct here. Text number six. Okay, this is Rabbi Isa Ben Yehuda Levi. And let's ask Steve. Steve Horowitz, will you please read text number six? There is a small aleph in the world, word Viacra to teach us that though God personally called him and afforded him all his all this honor to constantly speak with him. Moses, nevertheless, was always humble before God and the Jewish people. The aleph of Adam's name is big to teach us that there is no greater person, either in physical sense, for he was exceedingly tall, or in the sense of a superior wisdom, which he demonstrated when he gave names to all the animals. Beautiful. Look at that. Rabbi Yitzhak and Yehuda Levi, right? A biblical commentary from France is very nice. He's very nice and very generous in, the, in his commentary. He says, a small aleph is for humility and a large aleph is for greatness. No downfall, no sin, no don't be like Adam, no warnings, no nothing. It's, it's nice. It's a very nice commentary. The small aleph of Ayikra tells us about humility, even though God honored Moses, Moses didn't go to his head. And the large aleph of Adam, of Adam, he was great. Physically, he was large in stature. He was, um, he was a, a big man. And he was also wise. He gave the names to all the animals, which means that he understood the nature of all the animals. The according to Kabbalah means that he understood the soul energy of the animals and named the Hebrew letters align with the soul energy. So he had insight and perception into the animals. Either way, look at this. A very nice commentary from the 1300s that praises Adam with a large aleph. But wait, it gets even better. David, please read text number seven. This is another commentary about the large aleph. That's also nice. Take it away. Text seven, please. In Chronicles, Adam's name is written with a large aleph to Adam's stature prior to the sin with the tree of knowledge. At that point, he was at an extremely lofty level. Oh, another commentary that says that the large aleph of Adam is because why? Because he was great. He was pure. This is prior to the sin. He was extremely lofty. The aleph is in praise. And who writes that commentary? Did you notice? Rabbi Schneer Zalman of the Adi, the Alter Rebbe himself. Are you kidding me? This is not another commentary. This is the man himself, the grandfather himself. He writes in Lakute Torah, what we study with Rabbi Shusman Shabbos mornings, Lakute Torah. He literally is writing that the large Aleph is a praise of Adam pre-sin when he was extremely lofty. So why in the world, in the story, when his grandson comes back from Cheder, comes back from school or whatever it was with his teacher. And he, he asked his grandfather about the small aleph of this week's Torah portion. Number one, he pulls in the large aleph out of nowhere. Number two, he frames it in a negative fashion. Adam, ooh, Adam, no good. Ego, right, got totally messed himself up because he was too proud of himself, too arrogant. Who's talking about Adam. And why are we disparaging Adam here out of nowhere? When 
Number one, we're talking about Moses. And number two, the Altareb himself elsewhere explains the Aleph as being a mark of greatness and not a mark of arrogance. What is going on? These are not just two questions. If you really think about it, these are two really good questions. These are really good questions. The re and I have to take a step back. And what I'm doing now is bird's eye view. Okay, you ready? So we have details and we have questions. All right, take a step out. Step out for a second. Step above. Take a helicopter ride with me above this topic. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, our Rebbe, was so precise in Torah study, and the Rebbe himself commented on his own style many times, that he analyzed even Hasidic stories with a Gemara, with a Talmudic analysis. Even a story undergoes the same type of critical analysis as a verse in Torah. Are you with me on what I'm saying? The Rebbe takes a story about a grandfather and a grandson, and the kid comes home from school, why the small aleph, and the grandfather explains, the large aleph of Adam is no good, the small aleph is good. And the Rebbe says, nope, doesn't make sense. The story does not make sense. Everyone else, for the last few hundred years, whatever, since the story happened, heard the story, and it seemed great. I remember hearing this story as a kid. It sounded fine. There was nothing wrong with the story. The Rebbe says, analyze it, and it doesn't make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, we got to dig deeper because there's a deeper truth here. It's not about asking for the sake of asking. It's asking questions to get to a deeper truth. You see this? Again, we're in the helicopter still. This is how the Rebbe looked at everything. Everything was analyzed through a critical lens, and every question was to lead to a deeper answer. There was never a question for the sake of questioning. It was never like a question for the sake of, you know, whatever. It was always to probe deeper and explore a, a, a greater truth. So the Rebbe asks, why mention Adam and why mention Adam in a negative light? Why look at it that way? And the Rebbe explains something mind-blowing. Here we go. Here's the explanation. Buckle up, my friend. My friends, the Rebbe says that far from disparaging Adam, the Alta Rebbe brings Adam into the conversation to explain to his grandson that although Moses was very humble, you can't live your life just like Moses. Are you with me? I'm going to say it one more time. The Alta Rebbe, his grandson asked him, the Tzemat said they asked him a question about the small Aleph of Ayikra by Moses. The grandfather answers him by starting off with a discussion about Adam. Why? Because the message is you can't just be like Moses. You cannot go through life just being like Moses. Why? Let's explain. At the core of the human condition. Sorry. What's the truth about the human condition is that each and every one of us will face challenge. You and I, you cannot walk through life. You cannot travel the road of life and not get the rug pulled out from underneath you. It's impossible. It's impossible. We plan, you know, you know the expression, Mensch tracht und Gott lacht. 
men pl humans plan and God laughs. It's not always so funny. There, we walk through life and the unexpected happens. We were never expecting it. We didn't plan for it. And the next thing you know, it's right in front of us. And yeah, you can duck and hide, but for how long? To get through life requires a lot of things. Faith and, and connection, sure. But it also requires a very critical ingredient. And that is strength. To get through life, to get through the challenges of life, the nisyonot, the challenges, the tests, the trials and tribulations of life, you need to have strength. You need other stuff also, but you definitely need strength. There's no other way. There's no other way to get through it. If you just, if you can't, then it's not going to work. You have to have the strength. So where does the strength come from? Strength comes from the inside. It's a confidence. It's a strength. It's an assuredness. It's a belief in oneself that, yes, I can do it. I have the strength. We won't be strong unless we believe that we're strong. You have modern forms of motivation. Talk about picturing success, envisioning success, speaking, articulating success, because if you can't think it, see it, speak it, then you won't be able to do it. In a similar vein, in a similar way, we have this, this notion of strength. Unless you believe in yourself, unless you believe that you can, unless you believe that you're strong, you can't really be strong. What, you're going to surprise yourself, right? We have to believe in ourselves. So you need an inner sense of confidence, self-confidence, strength, a backbone, strength to stand up, to stand for what's right, to stand for what you believe in, to face the challenges of the world, whatever it is, it can be strong. And it starts from within. And so a necessary ingredient within the human condition for success is strength. Strength born of a self-assuredness. This is Adam. This is the message, the positive message from Adam Harishon, from Adam. Adam, Adam is written in Chronicles with a large Aleph. And the message is, the message is that in life, you have to have strength. You have to be a large Aleph. You have to have Strength, confidence, a backbone. You have to be sure of yourself. These are all necessary qualities. And where does it come from? It comes from recognizing that we've been given a strength from above. God created us. God put us here. God believes in us. The least we can do is believe in ourselves as well. Because God believes in us, so we shouldn't. We should tell... <laughs> We should tell God he got it wrong. God, you believe in me, but you don't know me. right? If you knew me, you wouldn't believe. I mean, that's what we're telling God. If God believes in us, we should believe in us. Take a look at something the previous Rebbe taught. It's really beautiful. Take a look. This is going to be text number eight. Take a look at this. Um, dot, hold on. Here we go. All right, let's do this. Donna, please read. Donna of Donna and Fred. Yes. <laughs> Text number eight. Everyone should learn how to utilize their own positive qualities 
Just as one ought to know his or her own shortcomings, so too should he or she know the positive qualities they possess. The, out, the, the previous Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, my grandfather's on with us, by the way. The previous Rebbe is the one who sent my grandfather to Pittsburgh in the 1940s. So the previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Schneerson, he explained and he taught that just like you have to know what you need to work on, your shortcomings. In other words, you got to know where there's room for improvement, but you also have to know the milas. You have to know the, the qualities, the positive. It's not only a mitzvah to know what you're lacking. It's a mitzvah to know what you have. Why? Because you got to be strong and confident and capable. You got to know what you can do. And that requires, yes, you have to know what, what, what you still need to know. That's important. But you also have to know what you got. You have to be confident and be proud of what you have. That's really important. That's very important. And where does it come from? I mentioned a few moments ago. Where does it really come from? It's acknowledging that you have been given a gift by God. It's not driven by self. It's driven by an awareness of God has given me these qualities. And thus, I have a responsibility to carry them into the world and to utilize them to the best of my ability and to make a difference with my strengths. This is the deeper meaning of the large Aleph. Stay with me. This is Adam. In Chronicles, the large Aleph, in a positive way, the belief in self. But what could happen? What could happen is you can go from belief in self and self-confidence that's healthy, but soon, soon you can bleed over to the other side, which becomes a little bit of arrogance, a little bit of haughtiness. And the next thing you know, it's leading to a negative direction as what happened with Adam as the story continues. But in and of itself, self-confidence and belief in oneself are not bad things. They're good things. Not only good things, they're necessary things. But just because it's good and necessary doesn't mean it can't go sour. Doesn't mean it can't go rogue. It could. Hence, the second Aleph, a tale of two letters. And that's the small Aleph. And the small Aleph balances out the big olive. What happens when you take a big olive and a small olive? You get a medium-sized olive. But what does it mean? That you need both. You need to be fiercely self-confident, but you also need to be a small olive, fiercely humble. What type of, if you know your qualities, if you know how gifted you are, the big olive, so what, what type of humility is this? So here we get to the final point. And not the final point, but the, the final big idea. And that is that true humility is not thinking that you're uh, a, a good for nothing. God forbid. God forbid. True humility is recognizing your qualities. As we've explained many times in these classes, you know your qualities. But you also know, as I mentioned even before, that they come from God. And you also believe that it's very possible that had someone else been given the same qualities, opportunities, gifts that you have, they might have done a better job with them. That's what humility is. Humility is 
You know exactly what you got, but it doesn't get to your head. Why? Because you're completely in awe. You're completely in a state of gratitude to God for the mylot, for the, the qualities that you have. And a sense of, you know what? If Yankel had those qualities, who's to say that Yankel wouldn't have done a better job in putting them back out there in the world? I mean, ha have I really maximized my opportunities and my gifts in this world in, in the right way? Or have I perhaps missed some opportunities? That's where humility comes in. So humility is not, I'm nothing, I, I'm not capable, who am I already? I can't do it. That's not a humility. That's a distortion, right? You have to have the big olive, the confidence. But lest the confidence take you down, you also have to have the humility of recognizing that the gifts that you know you have are a gift from, are indeed a gift from God. This is the message of grandfather to grandson, Alter Rebbe to Tzemach Tzedek, first Rebbe to soon to soon to be eventually to be third Rebbe. This was the message from Rebbe to Rebbe. What was the message? You asked about the small Aleph. Oh, let me tell you. Before we get to the small Aleph, the first thing you need to know is Star of Zion, a large Aleph. You gotta have, you gotta be a large Aleph. First and foremost, before you get to the humility, I'll talk to you about that soon. The first message is large Aleph. You have to have confidence. You have to have pride. You have to have a backbone. You have to be strong. And then, lest it go to your head and take you down like happened with Adam, you have to balance it with the small Aleph of Ayikra, the small Aleph of Moses. Moses knew who he was, but he also knew that it didn't come from him. Let me share the text inside that, 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 um, that expresses this so beautifully. Here we go. Text number 10. And I will share my screen. And let's pull it up right now. Hold on. When I said right now, I meant in like a second or two. Oops. Here we go. Um, I'm going to read this one. Text number 10. While in a state of holy pride, holy pride. That means self-confidence in a positive. And being cognizant of her own self-worth, we must be vigilant that our personal egos never get involved. Not only must, must we be aware of our, own, of, of our own shortcomings, we must go to the opposite extreme, a radical sense of humility and selfless, selflessness. And again, it's not a contradiction. You can be aware cognizant of our own self-worth and have a radical sense of humility, a large Aleph and a small Aleph at the same time. It is here, back inside, it is here that we see Moses' tremendous humility, so much so that it served as the antidote to the sin of the tree of knowledge, according to tradition, the stain of the, uh, the primeval sin was removed at the giving of the Torah at Sinai when Moses received the Torah. Oh, sorry. At Mantoro when Moses received the Torah at Sinai. Moses wasn't just a humble person. He was the most humble man on the face of the earth. He would measure himself up against every other person and conclude that if that person would have had my qualities, he or she would have certainly surpassed me. That was how Moses perceived himself. Moses recognizes qualities. 
recognize that they were a gift from God, recognize that if somebody else was gifted those abilities and opportunities, they likely, if not certainly, would have done a better job. Thus, it never got to his head. This is the message that I want you to take away tonight. A radical large Aleph and a radical small Aleph makes for a healthy human being. The story of a healthy human being is a tale of two letters, the large Aleph and the small Aleph. You cannot have one without the other. If you just have a large Aleph, that ends with sin. Sin of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. That's Adam downfall. If you just have the small Aleph, that's someone who's not going to get anything done in life. That's someone who thinks of themselves as worthless, meaningless, right? Meek, weak, and, and, and won't be able to stand up for what's right and get it done. What you need in life to be successful is both extremes, a radically large Aleph and a radically small Aleph. A large Aleph that says, yes, I can. And a, a large Aleph that says, yes, I can. And a small Aleph that says, but it's not me. It's not me. It's God's gift. This is how we make an impact on the world. I want to share with you a really lovely anecdote. If Raise your hand if you're a fan of baseball, professional baseball. If you know a little bit about baseball. Okay, we have some baseball fans. There's a pitcher. That's the guy who throws things. Um, sorry. He pitches the baseball, not a guy who throws things. That could be the manager when he's upset. Anyway, so the pitcher is the guy who stands on the little mound thing and throws the baseball. Good. So there's a pitcher on the Dodgers whose name is Clayton Kershaw. Anybody familiar with the name Clayton Kershaw? One of the great pitchers of the last, I don't know, 10, 12, 13. I'm not sure how many years he's been pitching exactly, but the last decade or so, it's one of the best pitchers. Really good. Won Cy Young Awards. Really, I mean, just don't have him in the playoffs. But other than that, he is fantastic. That was a joke and or a dig. Back to our story. So Clayton Kershaw once said the following. I'm going to read a quote that I have here. I didn't do anything to deserve this gift. Wisdom from Clay. You didn't think you were getting Clayton Kershaw tonight, right? Always surprising you guys. Always with a surprise. I didn't do anything to deserve this gift, he said. God gave me an ability to throw a baseball. He chose me for a reason, and I want to honor him with that. Religion from the mound. You can't control the talents he, he gives you. No, no doubt about that. But you can control the effort you put forth with those talents. And that, my friends, says it just about as good as anything else. You can't control what talents he gives you, but you can control what you do with those talents. My friends, this is the tale of two olives. There's what God gives us. That's the large olive. Well, I guess you can look at it both ways. Well, there's the acknowledgement that it's God who's giving us the gifts. That's the small olive. And then there's what we do with the gifts. And that's the large olive. Or really could go the other way also. It could work both ways. The point is, it's a symbiotic relationship between the two olives. So we don't want a medium, a medium olive, a medium-sized olive. That's too average. We want a radically large olive and a radically small olive to work together in a symbiotic relationship to get the right thing done. This is what makes the magic happen in our lives. 
to conclude with the story, one final story. Many of you, I believe, have seen the video clip of this story. If you have, or if you haven't, I'm sure you'll enjoy the story nonetheless. There is a fellow whose name is George Rohr. In fact, you may be familiar with the name because JLI is the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. Yes, you guessed it. Mr. George Rohr is a very prominent philanthropist who supports tremendously Chabad causes and other causes around the world. Many campus Chabad houses have the name Rohr attached to it because those are, that's one of the initiatives that he supported in a very great measure, the, the establishment of Chabad on college campuses. Okay, back to our story. The story happened a few decades ago where George, Mr. George Rohr was hosting a beginner service in Manhattan. And I, I know some of you have seen this story. I've seen the video. He tells the story and you see the clip. But nonetheless, it's important to share it for those that know it and those that don't know it. He did a learner service, High Holidays, and he reported back to the Rebbe. And he tell, when he tells the story, he says, I wanted to give the Rebbe nachas. Everyone's always asking, Rebbe, give me a blessing for this. Rebbe, pray for me for that. I wanted, I wasn't going to ask anything. I just wanted to give a good report to make the Rebbe happy. Rebbe, good things are happening. Just so he said. Rebbe, Rosh Hashanah, we had a beginner service for 130 Jews in Manhattan, Jews with no Jewish background. And, the, and he thought the Rebbe was going to be so happy, giving a nachas report to the Rebbe, giving the Rebbe pride and joy. The Rebbe looks sternly at him. What? What did you say? He says, we had a learner service, 130 Jews with no background. He says, what? He says, I want you to go back to each and every one of them and tell them that they absolutely do have a Jewish background. They're the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and Rebecca, and Rachel, and Leah. They absolutely have a background. What is no Jewish background? 130 Jews with no Jewish background. No Jewish background. They have every Jewish background in the world. It's such a beautiful story. And obviously the Rebbe was... It wasn't a game. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't a cute thing. The Rebbe meant it seriously. And then the Rebbe smiled after he said it to, you know, but the, but the point needed to be made. And the point is you have a background. That's the large Aleph. The large Aleph is the confidence that we know who we are. We have an incredible responsibility in the world. We have an incredible opportunity, incredible gifts. The large Aleph, coupled with the humility to realize that this has all been given to us by God for a purpose. May we have our large Aleph. May we have our small Aleph. And may we make the world into God's garden once again, as it was when Adam was still a large Aleph. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. It's great to be here with you and to study together. All right. Thus has a formally concluded Torah studies. However, I need to tell you that tomorrow night we are having an incredible opportunity, an incredible event, which I know some of you are part of, but we still have a few kits left and it's not too late to get your kit. We are going to be making a gorgeous piece of Jewish art 
Can you see this on my phone? This is a sample of the piece that we will be painting tomorrow night. Yes, you got this. One second. This is the Western Wall in Jerusalem. This is, hold on, Cal Ripken. I love Cal Ripken. I'm going to get back to that in a second. So check this out. Western Wall action. Gorgeous background. People praying there at the bottom. Guaranteed. No artistic background. You can create this. You will create this. We will create this together. I got my canvas ready to go. Oh, bring the kits. Bring, bring a kit, please. Huh? What? You don't have to what? All right. Anyway. What? Oh, wow. Look at this. Are you kidding me? This is the kit? I know it's the kit. Hold on, Reva. Jump down for a second because I got to unfurl the kit. One second. One second. Oh, Dina Aga's got her kit. This is a kit to end all kits. Are you kidding me? Look at this. This is like a Kit Kat kit. This is like Kit in that, what was that? David Hassel, what was that uh, show? Knight Rider kit. Anyway, all right, excuse me, Reva for one second. Look at this kit. This is not a pizza box. It's not a, I don't know what else it would be. But this kit has everything you need to create your own gorgeous piece, your own work of art. It's got paint, paint brushes, a canvas, a smock, a tablecloth, a cup for the water, a plate to use as a palette. This has everything. Right, this is art in a box, and then you're gonna turn it into this gorgeous piece of Jewish artwork to hang on your wall with pride because you made it. And in that corner, I don't know if you can see it, in that little corner, you know, it's, that's gonna be your signature. Yeah, your signature is going right there in that corner because God gave you the gifts and you're humbly channeling it into a Western wall um, image, so, or painting. Tomorrow night, painting, paint night, with Tanya. That's her name. We usually study Tanya on Thursday nights. I know it's kind of crazy like that. Her, the artist's name, her first name is Tanya. So it's, it's kind of like meta like that, but it's awesome. So if you're not yet signed up for Paint Out with Tanya and you want to be, just let me know and we'll get you a kid or you'll pick it up or whatever. We'll make it happen. We just got a few left, but it's, it's really cool. That's that. Also Monday night, Monday night, jewelry making with Donna. We have our Passover gorgeous Oh, Karen, is there a fee without the kit? Karen, I remember we talked about this like probably like two months ago. Please remind me, text me or email me and I'll hook you up, okay? Yes, good. All right, we can't ship this to Maine, but we can hook you up. We'll make it happen. All right, by the way, if you have art, like art supplies and you just wanna join the workshop um, tomorrow night at 7.30, just let me know, we'll, we'll, we'll make arrangements for that. Now, back to our story, Monday night, Jewelry making with Donna, our very own Donna, artisan, craft, jeweler, or jewelry maker, designer, um, extraordinaire. Monday night, gorgeous Passover themed jewelry. I know many of you have the kits and are ready to, ready to roll. Some of you do not have your kits yet. If you want in on the action and you want in on the action, then get then jump on it and still have time to pick that up and to get that kit going and we can make it happen. For Monday night. The uh, theme is know. wine. The theme is wine. So it's a yes. good occasion to, you know, bring the Rosh Hodesh class. Rosh Hodesh class, a little <laughs> chayim, a little wine. I ask the question always, why not? Right. Wine. All right. Um, two more announcements. Ellie got that one, right? I don't want to ruin your sense of humor forever, but why not? All right. Back to our... <laughs> 
Um, okay, two more things. Breaking news. You may have seen the email. Sunday night, this Sunday night, we have a brand new class. It's called Prepping for Passover. Guess what's coming up? Passover. Guess what has to happen? Prepping for Passover. Join me Sunday night for this class. 7.30 p.m., crash course to get ready. You have one week till Passover. I mean, a little over a week. Sunday is a perfect night to get ready for the Seder. Get, get, in, the, get, in, the, get in the zone. You got a week, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday will be the Seder. So join me Sunday night. No charge for this one. Jump right in. Wednesday, next Wednesday night, Torah studies, special Passover edition. So we have two Passover classes coming up. Um, we have two art events, painting and jewelry making coming up. My friends, it doesn't get any better than that. Oh, and also, I'm sorry for going on with all the commercial spots, but I mean, not really, but um, I'm not really sorry. But next month, in almost, exactly, in almost 30 days, April 16th, we will be having our first Shabbat dinner together in over a year on the belt line, not on the belt line. They'll be awkward when the dudes with the bikes come by. There goes the table of food. So in our, no one's laughing. Guys, this is, at least in my mind, this is humor. I don't know. All right. My mother's waving. Okay. But that's, of course, I mean, like, we'll be they Okay, fine. All right. Even, so here's the point. We're going to be having Shabbat dinner under the stars on the belt line. Join us outdoors, socially distanced. We're going to be safe with the food and plated food. So there's no buffet where anyone's mixing, you know, whatever it is. Safe, elegant, luxurious dining, beautiful weather. Please, God, beautiful weather. April 16th, Friday night. Join us. Limited seating because we're keeping it spaced out nicely. So join me for that. Take a look. Everything's on the website, intowntruishacademy.org. All right. That's all the news that's fit to print. Um, for Passover itself. I think I saw a question about Passover meal in a box. I don't know if we are offering that. I need to check. Um, Passover meal in a box. I don't know that we're offering that, but I can find out and let you know. So I will please God find out and let you know. And that's it. All right. All right. I have a question. Yes. Um, so the, first of all, hello. Um, hey. Hi. Um, so um, I think last year you had sent a like an online Haggadah. I think the reason I ask is I didn't expect to be here as long as I've been here. Right. And I don't have my Haggadah with me. So, um, I mean, I can buy another one. I, I have a good Haggadah for you, an online one. I don't remember what I sent last year. I may have sent one. I could look, but I just got a notice from Rabbi Tzvi Freeman, right. who some of you know from Chabad.org. He actually moved to Atlanta recently, and Nomi, his wife Nomi has been teaching classes by us, right? Some of you have been part of that. So Rabbi Tzvi Freeman just put out a message a day or two ago that Chabad.org created an online, oh, good. An online Haggadah, downloadable, printable, ready to go. So They emailed it today. They emailed it out today, Chabad.org? Mm -hmm. Okay, good, good, good. Awesome. I will forward so, you, Carl. Whoever wants it, you might be able to find it on Chabad.org, but if not, just, just so it'll be at least easier for me to know who to send it out to, just send me a message and I will, I'll download it and then just 
or send you the link, whatever. Either way, I'll, I'll get it over to you so you'll have it. And then you can, you can print it out before the holiday and have it ready to go. I get all other kinds of things from Chabad.org. I haven't checked my email. Karen, I just sent it to you. Oh, thank oh you. look at that. Yeah, it came Dr. To David to the rescue. Shh, look at that. By the way, Karen, it might be that on the preferences, you have the please do not send me your brand new Haggadah that I didn't know was coming out list. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so awkward sometimes people check that box by accident they thought yeah, oh, I, I probably did no and probably i totally checked, checked the email, do not send me so. the new hot that i don't know is coming out yeah but now i know that david sent it to me so i'm cool so no matter what yeah, I, you got I, have, it. I might have two emails now you it's got it you got it thank um, you david okay good 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 i think that's it all right i'm gonna let you all go because it's getting a little bit late but it is great to see you don't forget Express your art. You might think, oh, I'm not an artist. You think I'm an artist? Are you kidding me? I'm going to be there tomorrow night. Paint Well, here, here, but there, painting this thing tomorrow night. It's going to be amazing. So join me for paint night. Join me for jewelry making. I'm making jewelry Monday. Painting tomorrow night. I'm teaching Passover prep Sunday, Wednesday, next Wednesday, Torah studies class, Freedom Uncovered. Friends, it's a good time to be alive. It's always a good time to be alive. So Join me. Let's study together. Let's celebrate together. Godspeed. All right. Blessings for everybody to good health, success, and happiness. Mashiach now. All right. We'll see you all soon. Take care. Thank you. Laila Tov. Laila Tov. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.